this will be my ninth one. And uh, anytime you make it that far in the NFL, it, you just I'm super thankful and grateful for every opportunity that I get to put on the silver and black and play. And I, I don't think that I don't think that'll ever get old. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. Hour two of Cofield and Company. JVT is here. Caleb Herring as well, the former Rebel quarterback. Caleb, I want to, before we get to the Rebels and the bye week and the Cal game coming up, I wanted to talk about some impressions of the Mountain West Conference. Mm-hmm. After week one, what surprised you the most? The defensive issues of San Diego State against Arizona or Boise really struggled on offense to the point where Hank Bachmeyer is now fighting for his job? Um, I think just from being around the conference so long, I think San Diego State's defense surprised me more. I think because that was for so long, it's been the staple of San Diego State football. I mean, that and the run game, um, they've, they've been kind of a throwback uh, as far as style of play for uh, as far as that goes. Uh, they play defense and they, they run the football. Um, I, so I think them having a fall off, if you want to call that against Arizona, um, with, I think they gave up 30 plus points, um, mm-hmm. which is not characteristic of them at all, you know, to open up the season that way. I think that was probably the, you know, the one thing that you said would be consistent with the quarterback change, with the offensive production being up and down last year, you could rely on San Diego state's defense to, to pretty much carry them, um, to the tune of 10 win seasons and, you know, competing for conference titles. To, for them to start off like that with a bad defensive performance was was more shocking to me. I think Bachmeyer and Boise State hasn't really necessarily been a guy that you say is a, a top tier quarterback. He's had his moments. He's had you know times through his you know his play where he's been good, but him struggling a little bit doesn't surprise me. But I think San Diego State defensively def, their defensive woes were the most shocking thing about what we learned about the conference and in, in, I guess week one, a couple of teams played um, in week zero, but we learned, I think San Diego state has a chink in their armor on the defensive side. And it's been a while since we've been able to say that. So I say that's the surprise early on to, to start things off in the mountain West. It's funny you say that about Bachmeyer, uh, Caleb, because all I read in the offseason was how he was one of the elite West Coast quarterbacks. And I'm with you. I've watched Hank Bachmeyer now for whatever amount of years it is. He's a guy that, and you can maybe assess this a little bit more accurate than I am, but when I watch him, holds onto the ball too long, puts the ball in danger. We saw that. And I would ask you, wouldn't the quick leash, and I know it was three turnovers early, but wouldn't a, a quick pull like that kind of, give, kind of give us an indication that the coaching staff was seeing a little bit of this, getting ready for the season, and they were like, you know what? This isn't changing. We got to get him out of here. We got to give our other guys a shot. Yeah, elite quarterbacks have bad games, and they could have bad starts to games. And if if they're truly elite and they've separated themselves as elite, then you can the leash is like like you like you're alluding to is, is a little longer, and you you let them play through it and figure it out. Um, I think if there are hints in the evaluation process, in in game evidence, whatever, that maybe he isn't the guy. Like maybe he maybe we have our doubts going into this, then the leash shortens. So then you pull a guy in a, in a situation with a bad start like that. But like you said, I've seen over the years, I, I see what attracts people and I see, you know, the numbers that get put up and I see the big plays that happen um, as a result of the style of play that I think Bachmeyer kind of has um, played with, but I don't see that as elite quarterback play. And it's, it's not, 
it's not I, I hate to say this it's not a knock on him it's just his style doesn't to me add up to elite quarterback play when i think of elite quarterback play i think of consistency play uh distribution distribution with accuracy and that's that's don't throw it to the other guys is one of the one of the easiest ways to say it but i, I don't see that from him i haven't seen it in his career i thought the quarterback position from boy from in boise state has been shaky and it's been sort of a deficiency on the team where everything else around has sort of made up for Bachmeyer's uh, inability to be that elite quarterback. Um, but I think that game and that performance kind of just highlighted the fact that he's not. Um, so, like I said, it's not a surprise to me. Maybe people seeing that three-pick performance for the first time and, and watching Boise State offensively struggle um, was a little bit shocking. But I, I, you see the potential for it when you look at some of his performances in the past that he could lead an offensive struggle it, with the style of play that he brings and if the weapons around him aren't on the same page necessarily. So we've had a couple of games for some teams in the Mountain West. Well, Nevada. We saw Nevada play twice. Texas State and New Mexico State. Not in that order. Mountain West Wire puts out their power rankings for after week one. Nevada, the third best team in the Mountain West, Caleb? No. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, like, there's, it's, not, it's not, there's no really, I mean, what, they're 2-0. and So, yeah, their record says it. Um, but, I, I mean, no, it, it from what I saw on the tape, and this is kind of what I predicted going into the season. If 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 I was a predicting guy, that there's teams in the conference that will be going through a massive change, and and for in the case of Reno, I'm going to say it right. It, there's there's been a downswing um, from where that program was a year ago, and it's been I think just looking at it on film, I think it's a steeper downswing than maybe people think it is, um, and the quality of opponent for the first two weeks. Um, maybe was a little bit kinder to them. I think that New Mexico State game, they probably should have lost that game. Um, just looking at, you know, the way that game was shaken up, I think New Mexico State had five turnovers in that game. And that is really what, you know, Reno squeaked it out from, it was a four-quarter game, basically, is what it was. Um, so I don't think that Reno of last year um, would have even been in the conversation with that. It's a 60-point win, right? If you ask anybody up in Reno about that game last year, so I think they have a lot to figure out, and I don't see I didn't see anything in the first two games to suggest that they're in the top three in the conference. And I, that's me just watching football and, and kind of assessing things. And it's, it should be expected with what they're going through as a program. It's not like I'm I'm bashing them because I I'm a graduate of UNLV. I'm just saying that they find themselves in a position where they are in transition, and they are trying to replace a lot of key parts that are going to be playing on Sundays, um, and and not just that, but they're replacing a lot of people that jump ship in the transfer portal as well. Um, coaching staff, there's so much going on up there that it would be kind of ridiculous and disrespectful to everybody else to think that Reno wouldn't have a drop-off in the conference and that they would or that they should be expected to still finish in the top half with what they're going through. So I, I don't see why number three was the prediction. I don't, I don't think why that, that's their rating coming out of those first two games. I, I don't see it. So over at VSIN, uh, you know, I wrote our Mountain West guide. So I am viewed as a Mountain West expert. Uh, and I have gotten this a lot after the first week, which is, uh, why did Jay Norvell leave? That program looks like it's going to be terrible. Steve and I have talked about this. I feel like they're going to be a lot better once you get to conference play. And it's Michigan. Like, that's something where you're up against it from a lineman scrimmage standpoint. There was a pretty big advantage there. What would you make of Colorado State in the first look at Jay Norvell's uh, new stop? No, I think I saw some potential. I think I, I, I saw flashes of – Okay, for him to have something pieced together this quickly, again, he he maximized the transfer portal, which we've seen kind of swing things rapidly in, in the college football landscape. Um, so when you go and, and do something like that, 
Um, I, I think that you have a chance to turn things around a lot quicker than maybe in the past where we see, you know, four or five year rebuilding things like that or getting your culture, or your your guys in. I think the transfer report allows you to speed that up a little bit. And I think I saw glimpses of that with with the players that were able to make plays. I'm, I'm not going to say that they're um, I do think that they'll be better off come conference time. And I think starting off against Michigan probably didn't do them any favors. Um, but there were there were. There were, I mean, they forced a three and out in the first Michigan possession. Now, you can say that's a that's a moral victory or whatever you want to say, but they were competitive at moments in that game. Um, obviously, the, the the heavyweight power of a Michigan is going to overwhelm most people in the country, so not a very fair barometer. But you do see glimpses of a system that's kind of going in place and an identity for Colorado State starting to shape. And it's very early to be saying that, but I, I think with some confidence, they could say they can be very much more competitive. I think than people expected in conference play um, with all the changes that went on uh, as far as coaching staff and player turnover and the transfer portal and things like that. So UNLV with a week off after beating Idaho State FCS opponent. Now they're at Cal. They're getting 13. It's a one o'clock start right here on ESPN Las Vegas in uh, doing your research on the Cal Bears. What do you think? Uh, I think, again, it's a common theme in college football. I think they've taken advantage of the transfer portal to answer some of their needs. And I think the first one that comes to mind is Jack Plummer, obviously at quarterback who uh, had a, a shaky start, which is expected in the first live game action, even against Davis, uh, UC Davis. But um, to come out and kind of settle down and, and really be efficient with the ball for most of the game, um, I think that was probably a, a highlight for them. And I think it's going to be cause for concern for UNLV um, because he's an efficient passer. And I think he displayed in that first game that he's capable of finding the answers um, on the field, whether it's coming down to his check down, identifying blitzes, standing in the face of pressure and delivering passes accurately down the field um, it is, is, you know, when you, anytime you go against a quarterback that knows how to get it done, I mean, Jack Plummer, he comes from uh, Purdue. He's a fifth year guy. He's been around for a while. Um, so he's not going to be easily rattled. Um, then you look on the edges, they've got playmakers. They've got some length at receiver. Um, they've got guys that go up and make a play on a 50, 50 ball. And then they've got guys that'll make you miss in open space and a young running back in Ott. Um, so obviously when you go play in the Pac-12 or any power, power five school, the size difference is going to be there. I think UNLV going from an FCS opponent to now Cal, you look at the amount of 300 pounders on the front line on both sides of the ball. That's going to be a little different. But I think the main thing is um, when you're in position to make plays, especially against this level of, of an opponent, um, can you make the one on one tackle? Can you make the one on one play on a 50 50 ball? Can you win your individual matchups? Um, is going to be much more important in a game like this. And there's going to be opportunities for guys to make plays in space. Can they win mano a mano? And I think that's that's going to be the challenge for UNLV coming in. Um, and Cal is a program, like a lot of programs, that is trying to find resurgence through the transfer portal. And I think a lot of the names that, you know, come up and the key figures, especially at the quarterback position with Jack Plummer, uh, are going to be impactful. And we'll see if the Rebels can respond to it. Yeah, Rebels offensive line will be going against a 3-4 uh, defense up front. 6'3", 285 for Cal. Nose guard, 6'4", 335. And at the other end, 6'3", 305. So next level challenge for this offensive line, which looked good against Idaho State. Has a really interesting combo on the left side, formerly of Charleston Southern and Davion McDaniel and uh, PFF honoree uh, in Week 0. Preston Nichols, what do you think they're facing in terms of that defensive front? Well, I think like they're massive. <laughs> you know, it's going to be hard to just move the line of scrimmage, which some you take for granted when you're trying to establish a run game. Um, but I think they they have advantages in that they I think what what I saw in film in week one at least 
the lateral movement of UNLV, UNLV's offensive line, um, their ability to get downfield. We saw a couple of linemen, including Preston Nichols, running downfield and, and really chasing plays, making a difference with their athleticism and speed um, on the offensive line. Um, I think gets gets this Cal line moving a little bit. And I think that may be the advantage that UNLV has, maybe getting them going side to side a little bit, changing their angles, not making it necessarily a mono-a-mono battle in trenches. And you can win um, uh, up front without necessarily just powering over people, right? There's their schemes, there's positioning, gashing guys. Um, we saw against uh, UC Davis, Cal, they, they had some poor, some plays that exhibited some poor gap discipline where UC Davis was able to gash them for some big runs without necessarily moving the line of scrimmage too far down the field. So uh, either way, though, I think UNLV offensively is up to the challenge of it, especially with the explosive plays on the edges that they show that they're capable of. If they can keep those guys, those big heavy guys for that Cal defensive front on the field for extended drives, I think as the game wears on, it becomes a little bit easier for the guys up front to start moving that line of scrimmage, even though there's a maybe a bit of a size discrepancy. Um, the fatigue maybe sets in. You're moving 335 pounds. It's a little bit more effort in the fourth quarter than, you know, if you're 290, 300, right? So that extra baggage could could slow you down if if you're the Cal Golden Bears. Caleb hearing with us, of course, analyst for UNLV Radio and during football. And what is it? UNLV All Access podcast as well? Yes. Also so. the co-host of the Marcus Arroyo radio show. Okay. God willing, coming up tonight at 6 o'clock. Okay. like it. A lot of hats, <laughs> a lot of hats, Caleb. So I wanted to ask you as a former quarterback, so one of the things that stuck out to me watching Brumfield in the first game was – uh, the confidence to throw it in some pretty tight windows. Uh, but those windows are going to get a little bit tighter against a team like Cal. So what's the balance for you as a quarterback, like saying, like, hey, look, you know, I made it in some pretty tight windows here against a team like Idaho State. Do you, like, I feel like that's probably going to be a tough balance, right, in terms of having confidence but also not trying to push the envelope against a clearly a better secondary. Yeah, so I think there is a balance, and I think the balance has to be felt throughout the game. And I think because I, Doug had a great game, um, obviously against Idaho State, but I think he he showed me that he understood the balance, and and it is it's in this way. There was times where he could have made more difficult throws. There was times where he could have forced the issue, um, and, and thrown it down the field into tight coverage. Um, but he had a good balance of taking the easy access throws as well. Um, and there's times where the throw that you're making is necessary one because of the play call, and two because of the situation on the field. A couple of his throws that were into tighter coverage or more difficult balls to complete were second and 20 after holding where they're trying to get back into the game or you know get back ahead of the chains and make it third and manageable and you got to force the issue down the field a little bit there um there's a, another play where it's a shot and it's an inherent risk because you didn't have anybody holding that flat defender to the boundary um where he's throwing that deep cross to to uh justin wyman or, or jeff wyman excuse me um and he's throwing that he understands you, you see him peak clear as day on the film he peaks that backside coverage understanding it's going to be there, but he still knows that this is the throw that this play is dialed up for. I've got to make the throw. So being able to make those throws in those situations, but then at the same time, you know, on that same drive, calling another shot play and he takes the peak downfield. He's uh, double covered, but that means my check down's wide open. No hesitation. I'm taking the easy throw, taking what the defense gives me. So I think there there is a balance that you have to strike and you have to feel that as a player while you're in the heat of the battle. You can't predetermine in any case where you're going to throw the ball. And that's that's whether you're on fire or not, predetermining gets you in trouble. You have to read what the defense gives you, take what they give you, and understand the situation in the game that require you to make difficult throws. And, and that's what separates quarterbacks when they're having efficient games and playing winning football is understanding the flow of the game as well, not just your preparation, not just your arm talent, not just what you can do, not just who you're throwing it to, 
but understanding the flow of the game and what the game dictates you to do as a quarterback. And that's the key to decision-making that, that makes for great performances like Doug had in week one. Caleb Herring is with us. Uh, let's go back to what the Rebels have to do on defense and talk a little more about the Cal Bears offense. Jaden Ott is one of the guys to watch. He's a freshman running back. He was the uh, offensive freshman of the week in the Pac-12. He had 130 yards. I think the last time a freshman did that in his debut, a number you know at 130 or higher was Keenan Allen in his debut, 158 mm-hmm. yards. We had a guy, uh, Michael Oskian, who played quarterback at Cal in the late 80s, early 90s, and yeah, he he tempered it and said, "Listen, don't don't get crazy with what I'm saying," but he's like, "This kid has a chance to be." Awesome. And he brought up the name of Russell White, a guy that he played with who was actually the all-time leading rusher at Cal. And Cal's had some good running backs. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, Justin Forsett, uh, fans of the uh, uh, late 70s, 80s, uh, early 80s NFL. Remember Chuck Muncie, uh, Shane Vereen, who's now a broadcaster, job at best. So uh, this guy is in a long line of uh, unreal Cal running backs. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say, don't take it with a grain of salt and then throw that name out, right? The, the record holder, like that, that's what you're going to compare him to. Now our expectations are through the roof. But no, he, he put some things on tape that that give you an understanding to why, especially for a true freshman, for a freshman to come out and put it on tape like that. Um, it gives you it gives you good reason to say. And it's it's the awareness of the game. It's it's the slipperiness in the open field. There's a couple of times where guys had him dead to right. And, and it was like he slipped out. And I know there's a third and long conversion that he had on a check down out of the backfield, um, scoring out of the backfield as a receiver. Um, but, yeah, like you said, he's shown glimpses of it. I don't know that he's necessarily, you know, the runaway favorite to be the guy for Cal. He's not going to be, you know, on Heisman watch this year. But he showed that he can be effective, especially just focusing on this week for UNLV. The defense requires and the way that the Rebels play, they put their players on the defensive side in situations where they're going to be one-on-one and have to tackle in space. Um, it's the 111th mentality in UNLV where they're going to put safeties and, and linebackers out on an island where it's going to be them and 10 yards of separation between the next defender. Um, the Calvary will be coming, but you're going to be having to tackle this guy um, one-on-one in space. And like I said, he put it on film that he's slippery. He can get away from tackles. He's strong enough, not the fastest, not the quickest, but some some sort of elusive capability that allows him to shed tacklers in the open field um, and be effective as far as gaining yards after catch. And I think with an experienced quarterback like Jack Plummer, who who's not going to hesitate to throw it to his running back, who's not going to hesitate to take the check down and let his guys go run for the yards after catch, I think that's something to be aware of is the running back out of the backfield. And, and Ott definitely showed that he's willing and able as a receiver out of the backfield. Caleb, great job. We'll talk to you in uh, just a couple hours on the Marcus Arroyo radio show after 6 o'clock. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys. Have a good one. More UNLV Cal stuff coming up. As the week moves along, Cal's a really uh, intriguing squad. This is a really tough game for the Rebels, and the line has been installed at 13, 13 and a half. Hasn't really moved much since it came out, so we'll uh, we'll continue to break down the game. On Saturday, it'll be right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Cal hosting your Rebels with a 12-30 pregame. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. JVT in for a couple of minutes, and then Adam Hill will take over here at the uh, Battleborn Broadcast Center. You know, when we were talking yesterday about Clemson, and you were being really mean about DJU, the quarterback stunk of the Tigers, you know, I was actually thinking – there is a chance because this happens, and it might happen to Bachmeyer at Boise, where a freshman takes over. And it could happen with DJU 
where he gets overtaken by Klubnik, he could also transfer mm-hmm. and lengthen his career and be one of those guys who was, you know, a top three quarterback recruit coming out of high school and then wind up playing four or five years in college. And he would be welcomed with open arms back at a Pac-12 school. I mean, he's a guy who went to St. John Bosco, goes all the way across the country. Clemson fans, I think, are treating him like crap. That would be kind of cool. And believe me, when when he landed somewhere, he's going to be coveted. He's going to be appreciated. He's going to get a nice NIL deal, which sometimes stories don't work out the way you think they're going to in college football. And a great example is all of these high-profile guys, right, that Georgia has recruited over the years to play quarterback. And last year they had JT Daniels on the roster, and Daniels simply could not beat out Little Stetson Bennett. And now look at how it's turned out here for Little Stetson. He won a national championship last year. His numbers are awesome. And now he's bell of the ball because he won him a championship, and he's making money. Almost a million dollars, according to his NIL agent, Jeff Hoffman, of Everett Sports Management. He's nearing a million dollars worth of NIL um, deals. And there's a lot of them. Obviously, he's got a bunch, I think. Let's see. Uh, Fanatics, Georgia Power to his portfolio. He added that earlier this year. Uh, AARP, Synovus Bank is part of it. Um, apparently also on part of his his uh, sponsorship deals or NIL deals is uh, an apartment complex out in Athens. And he started a commercial for them, actually. And he did a great job. Hey, here you go. This place is nice. Excuse me. Why is Stetson Bennett actually delivering our mail? That's who you are. I deliver. That's what I do. Uh, anyways, tell me about this place. It's new, right? Yeah, it's called Point Grand. Um, it's a pretty rare find around here. The apartments are great. It's got great amenities. I get the nickname. It just feels like it's a little on the nose. And it's mostly young professionals, which is cool. See? Because he's the mailman. And it's affordable, so we can actually save some money. Cool. Thanks for tour, guys. Hey, mailman. You gonna deliver some more championships? Damn, pressure's on. But in this radio doesn't do it justice. He does a brilliant when he's asked, hey, mailman, you gonna deliver any more championships? Does a brilliant point and wink at the guy before he walks out. Was that the best part of his acting? Uh, no. How were well, the facial expressions on the other line? So he was great. I thought he was fantastic. But can I tell you, and it speaks perfectly to who Stetson Bennett is. So the commercial is he is a mailman. He's delivering a package to an apartment and thus, you know, opens it up. He's asking what's going on at the apartment. So the, the camera shot opens with him delivering the package. I did not know it was Stetson Bennett until the guy in the commercial referred to him as Stetson Bennett. He's one of the more regular guys you're ever going to see play high-level college football, which is also an unreal story because, you know, for folks out there who are accomplished, you know, kids who are accomplished as high school quarterbacks, you don't have to be 6'5". Right, and that's for me, that's the thing, little Stetson Bennett. For me, it's also about the bigger picture, right, which is Stetson Bennett is not – I don't know why I'm saying his full name a lot, but it sounds really good. He is not, it seems at least, a high – quality quarterback prospect and he he could be drafted late and emerge as a really good quarterback it could happen but it seems more probabilistic that he is going to maybe go to the nfl be maybe a journeyman backup at best but even if he doesn't flame out this is why the nil kind of works because a guy like him in years past leading a dominant team like georgia was going to get next to nothing now he's going to make nearly a million dollars doing this win potentially a couple of national championships and at least be able to get something out of it before going on to what is a questionable national football league career. 
Today's Cofield and Company is presented by Ellis Island Casino, home of some of the best barbecue in Las Vegas. Get a full rack of ribs for just $15.99. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. I'm going to live till I die. I'm going to laugh instead of cry. Oh, look who's here, Adam Hill. Busy week with the Raiders, busy week with the Raiders. And UFC. And UFC. Uh, we got a lot to get to uh, with the Raiders over the next uh, 80 minutes or so. But fat pack time. We check in on some TV, some uh, fattiness. Uh, I don't think there's too much fattiness today except for uh, the host here. Um, start out with, I will apologize in advance. We will talk hard knocks towards the end of the show. It is a hard knocks Wednesday. I didn't get to watch it. So I got to oh, catch boy. up tonight. I, I just got overwhelmed the last day and a half. Um, but I did notice a couple of TV things. Uh, one... Have you you have watched um now I'm blanking on the freaking show I just had it in my head the John McEnroe Never have I ever Never have I ever John McEnroe speaking for a 17-year-old I haven't uh, watched, Indian girl I haven't watched season 3 Okay it's a good show right Yeah I actually I noticed someone in the media pretty big sports personality who they were talking about the show and the person was like John McEnroe I had no idea that was John McEnroe what? like really <laughs> cuz you know there's a John uh, McEnroe documentary out on Showtime, so which I another thing I have to catch up on because let me tell you, is never have I ever in the documentary. I don't know, I'll have to check it out. <laughs> let me tell you, as a kid, I would say John McEnroe was probably one of my top five favorite athletes because I've talked about being kind of a tennis fan and I played a little tennis, I wasn't good, but my mentality playing tennis at a much like less, 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 less talented level was of John McEnroe. Which what I'm saying is, I was. A sore losing lunatic. Yeah, you've modeled your personality after him, but not your tennis game. Uh, when I watched him, it was actually a wake up call every once in a while. I'm like, my God, that dude is crazy. But, it, you know, it was also, he was one of those athletes who didn't look the part. You know, like Bjorn Borg looked the part. Sure. You know, these long rangy guys, even if it's Yvonne Lendl, like they look the part. John McEnroe looked like a dork, but he was still a high level athlete. I, I don't, I have no idea why that just. It just kind of clicked with me, a conversation I had today with uh, a Raiders player who I'll I'll leave out his name for now just because I'm telling a story that he was dead in the locker room. Like, practice crushed him today. Really? And uh, I was like, man, you're struggling out there. I was like, I thought it was hot. It's hot watching it, so I know it's hot for you guys. And he said, yeah, and my hair is thinning. He's like, so even when I take off my helmet, it just crushed me. I'm like, all right, that sucks. So it's it's the look the part thing, I think, is the when you have – you know, when you don't look at there are there are things that are of your looks that could impact how you feel on the court. I guess <laughs> I never thought about a it. A failing like hairline could. Yeah. Uh, he was like, it, hurt it you. was getting me, man. What is "Don't Worry, Darling"? Do I have something else I need to watch uh, in terms of a movie? Uh, maybe I have no. I knew nothing about this movie, absolutely nothing, and it has absolutely taken over social media the last couple of days. It got like a seven-minute standing ovation at Cannes. Really? Um, star-studded cast, directed by Olivia Wilde. Apparently, there are just massive issues on this on the set of this movie. Uh, like infighting amongst the actors? Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. Florence Pugh, who's kind of a breakout star as an actress, she's the star of it. Olivia Wilde is the director. There was, during the standing ovation, Florence Pugh basically acknowledged like everyone in the cast and was like, oh, yes. And there's been all these rumors that they hate each other. And she just ignored her during the standing ovation. That's kind of cool. Which I love. That's very sports radio-esque. So I all of a sudden was like, I'm kind of interested in this. And now there's Spitgate, which really? apparently Harry Styles allegedly spit on Chris Pine. 
Can we save this for the Big Five? <laughs> okay. I want to hear more about Spitgate. Okay. Put it on the tease okay. board because we have more documentaries to talk about. We got a lot more Raiders to talk about. But up next is our eye on sports gambling. You know, we got all these great contests in town, and you know, one of the leaders of the pack are the big contest down at Circa. And the owner of Circa, Derek Stevens, is going to join us in less than five minutes. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. What's the guarantee? Hey, Derek! What's the guarantee? The biggest pro football contest in Vegas are back. Back, back. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Contest time down the stretch, right? People need to sign up. Adam Hill is here from the Las Vegas Review Journal, of course, uh, the company, Cofield and Company, and Steve Cofield. Uh, did you check out any of my social media? Probably Instagram, which I, you might not look at because I don't post a whole lot. Did you see where I was over the weekend? Well, that would mean I'd have to follow you on. Oh, uh, you don't follow me? I think I do at some point. So, I, your SO posts more than you do. So She does. She tags me a lot. So I think I posted a, a photo of Rick Springfield. I was getting ready to go see Rick Springfield downtown sure. on the Third Street stage. As one does. And I enjoyed myself. I'll just say that. Sure. We'll get into it. Derek Stevens, I know, was there. He got up on stage and was talking about <laughs> Yeah, oh, he did. He was, dude, it was it was a great show. Was, I've seen it. It was men at work. Uh, I actually missed John Waite, which I was very depressed about, uh, 80s legend. And then Rick Springfield came out. It was a lot of fun. Derek Stevens is with us, the owner of the D, the owner of Circa. Derek, how are you? Terrific. Great to talk to you guys today. Yeah, that was a hell of a concert. Yeah, I was going to say, how good was that show? And uh, you uh, you got up there and got the crowd all fired up before Rick Springfield came out. Yeah, he's uh, he's a professional entertainer. I I, uh, I can't believe he's 73 years old, but he went out there and he gave it his all. And the crowd was packed. It was a great Labor Day weekend. And that was the thing. The picture I posted of Rick Springfield before the show was Rick Springfield at 73 shirtless in early August. And then he goes shirtless on the stage. And I like, Oh, I think every guy and, and woman in the audience is like, what is going on? You're 73. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I, you almost thought there was a doppelganger out there. So, but Oh, that was him. And he's got a lot of energy he had a lot of fun. Everybody was jumping around. How do those shows come together? Like how do, do we as Las Vegans actually get those shows for free? Oh, it's pretty good. Las Vegas events uh, help sponsor it, and then all the casinos on uh, in downtown Vegas on Fremont Street puts it together. So I think this year we got uh, you know fifteen free concerts, um, all part of the summer concert series, uh, and we keep announcing them, so uh, they keep they keep coming together. So it's it's a it's a great thing for Vegas, great thing for Vegas locals to come out and get some free entertainment. And I'll tell you this, Derek, and I know that you you've probably seen this too. Is that if you're a local and you're looking and saying, oh, "I don't really, know, I don't really like that band, or I don't really know that much about that band," I'd go anyway. I've gone to shows that I didn't think I would like. Just it, the atmosphere is so fun; it's great down there. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, these these Friday Saturday night concerts are uh, are a ton of fun. They got a pretty good mixture of bands, and uh, you know, it's a blend of locals and tourists, and everybody's out having a good time. I also have to pull back the curtain. Because I called in a favor to Richard Wilk and got a VIP pass uh, just below where you were sitting. And when when I get a show for free, that means uh, maybe there's a couple more drinkies. So your bartenders did a good job of keeping myself and the uh, the girlfriend uh, quite lubricated. We uh, we did it up. We did it up for that show. Well, I appreciate that. It's very important. We're in a desert. You got to stay hydrated. That's why everybody. <laughs> Adam Hill knows that for sure. Yeah, for sure. No no question. Uh, Derek, breaking news: the Tigers just won a game. Oh, man. Wow. 
underperforming team of uh, of the year right there. That's that's for sure. Yeah. What what happened? This was supposed to be a good year for us. Oh man, look at this! Look at this! Uh, look at this starting staff. I mean, Casey buys, Tarek Scoople goes down, and who'd ever thought the potential rookie of the year, uh, Spencer Torkelson, had to get sent out of the minors in July? Un- you know, really unbelievable. And then in the middle of it, you fire the GM. So it's a it was a pretty horrendous year for uh, for my beloved Detroit Tigers. Yeah, the crazy thing is, I think, and I'm I'm assuming. The Circle Book made some money on this one because I heard a lot of sharps who were very high on the over win total for the Tigers. Yeah, we we, we definitely took uh, we took some action on uh, on the Tigers on, on on over on the win total. I personally betted around town, and that that uh, that looked like it did work out too well. So right now I had the Tigers over, and then I had the A's under, so I'm still in action there. Lions over though, right? We're gonna oh this is gonna be the year the Lions finally take a step forward. Yeah, you know we we started jumping on that. Um, you know, some of our some of our crew around town. We got some five and a half. We got a lot over six. Um, we kind of backed off when it went to six and a half uh, over, but we were kind of trying to jump on this thing. We kind of thought this was the year for the Lions. Um, you know, we thought they underperformed last year. We thought they lost some pretty tight games, and he had that tie game, and uh, we thought there'd be a little bit more of a regression to the mean. Uh, and they have an easy schedule, and then and then you throw in the uh, you know we figure there's going to be a lot of hard knocks bump, which which we've seen actually. So uh, I think the the Lions are kind of like the feel good team this year. Derek Stevens is on Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield with Adam Hill. All right, let's talk about your big contest first. Let's go with the uh, Circa Million uh, Year Number Four. So let's talk about where you are right now, what's being offered, what the entry fee is, and how much there is in terms of prizes. Yeah, so you know we started the millions. You know, this is year four. So the first year we did it, we guaranteed a million and a half. Uh, then we went to three million last year to four million, and this year is a big bump for us. We went from four million up to six million on our guarantee, and uh, this is where the value is. So you know, this is a this is a pick five type of contest. Um, it'll be the largest uh, pick five contest in history. So we're guaranteeing the six million. It's a thousand dollars to enter. Uh, five games against the spread uh, each uh, each week, and um, you're going to have one heck of an overlay here. This is where the value is. So I'm uh, I'm glad I'm getting to, getting to talk to some locals here because uh, I would I would love nothing better than a local to win this thing. We pay a hundred deep, um, a million goes to the winner, and out of that six million, we're guaranteeing we're guaranteeing a million two in the quarterly prizes. So weeks one through four is the first quarter and. You know, it goes on from there. So we're doing three hundred thousand a quarter of uh, of quarterly prizes. So, be the biggest the biggest uh, football contest uh, ever, and um, we're pretty excited about it. I mean, I'm pretty excited about the next forty eight hours, frankly, because people are flying <laughs> all over the country. I mean, everybody on our staff is so excited about about uh, you know the start of football season. So everybody, there's a little energy in the air here at Circa. We're open twenty four hours a day. All the proxies are. Uh, sitting in place, you know, kind of doing office hours if you need a proxy. So it's a pretty cool little vibe down here at Circuit. So you mentioned people are coming in and, and trying to get in on this. I'll, I'll tell you, I've had people around the country kind of text me and saying, wait, is this for real? Is this is this legit? It's really guaranteed? Yeah. And the overlay is there. So, I mean, have you seen the people? Are they lining up trying to sign up for this contest late? Yeah, I mean, we did half a million of signups yesterday between the wow. millions and uh, Circuit Survivor. Um, I'm hopeful that we're going to do a little bit more than that today, tomorrow, and Friday. Uh, 
you got to get in by uh, by 2 p.m. on Saturday, but uh, that's a hard cutoff. So it's not like if you're in line, you can, you can get in. You know, I would I'd effectively say you'd probably have to be there by 10 a.m. Saturday to be able to get in. Um, you know, or else or else you're going to get shut out. So I think I think you know right now right now the next couple of days we're going to see an awful lot of action. I know my my phone's been kind of going crazy, and the proxies have been texting me saying you know they got all these appointments lined up. Uh, that uh, it's kind of almost hard to get a get a proxy appointment for for the people coming in from out of town. But uh, yeah, with this type of overlay, um, it's kind of cool for our property. It's kind of cool for Vegas having everybody showing up on this big big weekend. You mentioned those proxies. Like I think people around the country, if they're listening to this on on podcast or online, like you can have a proxy that's here. You don't have to be here every single week. You can have somebody here that you work with, and there are services out there that'll do it, and they're easy to connect with, right? So people around the country can get in on this. Absolutely. I mean, people from around the country can get in. And if you're a local, you know, I kind of recommend using a proxy as well because, you know, sometimes you got to go out of town and, 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 you know, there's also an insurance policy element to it. I mean, last year we had over a hundred, hundred contestants that didn't put their picks in and it wasn't for any bad reason. It was just that sometimes things get in, get in front of you and it's called life, you know? So, you know, a flat tire, your phone goes dead, that type of thing. So uh, proxies are kind of like an insurance policy. They'll get your picks in for you. So whether you're whether you're in state or, or, or local, or whether you're from out of state, yeah, you can play in this. You, the key thing is you got to register in person at one of our properties, whether it's the Golden Gate, the D, or Circa, or, or one of uh, one of our satellites, like at Tuscany or at the Passover in Henderson, something like that. That is Derek Stevens, of course, from Circa, from the Golden Gate, from D. Really, the mayor of downtown Las Vegas. I can I can say that as uh, somebody who's around quite a bit and just sees the interactions Derek has with the public and uh, uh, with with the people out there. Uh, and that's not. It would be one thing if that was the only contest. There's another contest, and I think people have really, really embraced the Survivor contest. And you guys obviously do the biggest one out there. Yeah, Circus Survivor. This is our third year of uh, of doing it, and. Um... You know we're guaranteeing six million on Circuit Survivor this year as well, and um, the, the the number of people we had in last year was uh, forty one hundred. Um, we guaranteed the six million in Circuit Survivor, and 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 I think we're going to hit it this year. I think there's a chance that we uh, we surpass the six million. So if that happens, uh, it just means the pot pot grows because we don't take a rake or, or anything like that. Uh, you know all the entry fees go back to. Uh, Go back to the winner of winners. Um, so I think that's going to be pretty cool to see to have uh, this much money going off in, uh, in in the Circus Survivor this year. But that's why between the two contests, that's why I think the value right now is is in the Circa Millions because that's where the overlay is. So uh, between the two, you got to play what you play what you what you enjoy. Uh, I just think the value right now is in is in the millions. What what is your uh, survivor strategy? I know people love this. People love getting into them all over the place. Obviously, uh, as we said, yours is the biggest one. But uh, are you just picking the the team that you think is the best every week? Or are you looking down the road trying to figure out what you'll do uh, later in the season? Oh, Adam, there's so many strategies. You know, it all starts <laughs> off with the bull rush strategy. You just pick one. You pick a team week one. And you try to live to the next week. Then you got the option strategy where you take a couple of entries and. You know, on the option strategy, if you can get to, like, week five as an example, awful lot of people will then take, you know, something like uh, Jacksonville versus the Texans. 
They'll take both teams. They sacrifice an entry just to just to get to week six, that type of thing. So that's the option strategy. You know, there's the there's the one team fade, the two team fade. There's a lot of, a lot of teams, a, a lot of uh, contestants that said they're going to fade the Texans this year. They may fade the Bears. They may they may fade the Seahawks. So you got the team fade strategy, and then uh, one of my favorites is uh, the Merlin reversal. And that's where you look at the schedule. You start at the back end and you work your way backwards, just like the Wizard Merlin did. So, you know, there's there's a lot of strategies out there. That's what makes that's what makes Circus Survivor so much fun. What do you think of the picking the least popular team week one and just hoping the biggest favorite loses and you're in a much smaller field? Well, I think I think that's uh, that's something a lot of people are thinking about. I mean, this is a very unique week one. This is a very difficult week one with all these road favorites. You know, a lot of people that play Survivor, um, you know, have a kind of a rule of thumb or you know, cardinal rule that they're not going to take a road favorite. So, I think this is a this is a week one where you can make an argument where you use an option strategy right off the get go because I do think I do think there's there's a, a a high probability of a lot of people getting knocked out on week one, and and you know if. When people say, well, why would you ever sacrifice a pick? Well, think about it. If you have two entries in the Circus Survivor and 50% of, uh, of the uh, entrants get knocked out, your theoretical value on your remaining ticket increased. So, you know, there's some math behind it on something like that. And I'll tell you, this week one is, is different than anything we've seen in the last couple of years because this is a very, very difficult week one. Derek Stevens with us, Circa. Derek, we should mention, you know, we're talking about it being a nationwide contest with the proxies. It's definitely a statewide contest. You should throw out there what's going on in uh, Reno and Sparks because you guys are part of a casino, what, what, first new casino in like 20 years in Legends Bay. Yeah, it was pretty cool. We were up there, uh, we were up there a week ago, uh, first uh, first new casino in, the, in that northern Nevada area in, in uh, yeah, 20-plus years, and uh Legends Bay opened up a uh, great, great place. Uh, we were fortunate to cut the deal that we put a circus sports book in there. We were fortunate that we were in on the ground floor so we could design it our way and, and, uh, and everything got, we got with a great group of, uh, great group of people, owners and managers up there. And, uh, for us, it's kind of a big deal because it's the first time we've been able to bring circus sports to, uh, to the Northern part of the state. So, for us, we were pretty excited about it, and uh, yeah, it's, it's so far it's been it's been pretty good. It, it's uh, it's added a lot of a lot of new accounts, and uh, we've had we've had a lot of fun working with the working with the crew up there. You mentioned it's a wild week one. There's UFC this weekend. Obviously, the game tomorrow. The game's on Sunday. College football on Saturday. Probably going to be a pretty quiet week over at Circa, right? <laughs> we're we're loaded. We're ready to go. I mean. What a what a week this is going to be, and then it doesn't stop. You know, we just signed a deal to uh, we're going to show we're going to show the uh, Canelo Triple G fight at uh, at Stadium Swim the following weekend, and that's while life is beautiful is going on. So we've got a we've got a good couple weeks of run here. So uh, everybody's rested up and beer's cold, and we're ready to go. Derek, awesome spot. We appreciate the time and everyone out there getting these circuit contests. The uh, clock is ticking. Thank you so much. Hey, great to talk to you guys. See you later. Thanks, man. There is Derek Stevens, Circa, and multiple locations around town. He mentioned some of them, uh, you know, like Golden Gate and the D and Tuscany and the Pass and Henderson. And we just talked about Legends Bay. You can enter at all these places. Get in these Circa contests, especially the the million episode or year number four. I mean, a massive overlay.